Welcome to the Theo <laughs> Pop Culture Smackdown, friends. You know, what a lot of students don't know is that playing musical, classical, electrical piano is is um, harder than it looks. Uh, it's harder than it looks. It's it's a form of therapy. Service. Service to humanity. <laughs> yep. There's really a lot that goes into it. Yeah. And, uh, and if they think we're going to stop. They're, they've never been more wrong about anything in nope, their lives. Nope. We're doubling down on the musical stylings of the classical electric piano. Boom. And we're also doubling down on our smackdowns. Smacking down. Yes. Um, our word this week is empire. Yes. We're still rolling with the empire. Yes. And we are debating a really, really controversial figure Ooh. in the history of Christianity, mm-hmm. Constantine. In a lot of, especially like pop histories, mm-hmm. Constantine is the big bad. He's he is the like the villain. He is, as the kids say today, sus. <laughs> is that what they say? I think that's a short abbreviation for suspect. Oh, really? Wait, I did you just make that up? No, why okay, would I do I gotta- that? <laughs> Google it okay. right now. Okay, I will have to look it up, but I can't right now because I am in charge of the music. So <laughs> we are going to be debating Dr. Doak and I are going to argue yep. about whether or not we think Constantine was a hero or a villain. Right. So we've talked a little bit about this um, in in the Need to Know More podcast, and you'll read a little bit more. But um, he didn't make Christianity the official religion of Rome. That's something that a later emperor did. But he made it a legal religion, and he incentivized Christianity by... Um, sponsoring the building of many um, churches mm-hmm. and and memorials to um, Christians. And his mother was a really devout Christian. And so she um, was kind of the inspiration behind a lot of that. And so, mm-hmm. um, in fact, she's a well-known Christian saint, St. Helena. There's a big history of this, like people, famous Christian male leaders having a mom who is like a yeah, special yeah, Christian Yeah, yeah, yeah. John life. Wesley. Yeah, lots August, of people. Augustine, Augustine, Augustine Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So for all, uh, I take a lot of inspiration in that myself because I'm a mom. Oh, you're that mom. You're yeah, yeah. In, mom. in my dreams, I am that mom, a really devout Christian woman. Um, but so this is a time when um, the Roman Empire begins a mass conversion, really, going from primarily pagan slash um, traditional Roman practices Mm -hmm. and beliefs. And we talked a little bit about that, like the stuff you read about in the New Testament where Christians are in cities where they have their own gods and their own goddesses and Mm -hmm. um, their own particular practices based on geography to a primarily Christian empire. Mm -hmm. That's a massive transition. That's a big deal. Yeah. So he is looked on. That's um, a very big deal. Yeah. And, and I, I think I should say before we start our debate that one of the reasons why he's considered to be a bad guy is because a lot of people now, Mm -hmm. like in a popular books and stuff, look at him as someone who institutionalized the church and made it into like an organized group, which some people think of as bad for the church. Which would make Constantine a villain. A villain, yeah. So um, that's one of the, because the way we just talked about him, you might not think that he is villainous. You might be thinking like, why do we, why do we think about Yeah, like he's, he's making Christianity legal and cool. 
Yeah. So we're going to debate, like, why why might you think that he is a villain? Because many people, mm-hmm. especially many Protestant Christians, um, and we'll get to what Protestants are, but the vast majority of students at George Fox come from a Protestant tradition. If, many, you're, if you're a Christian and you're not a Catholic, you're probably a Protestant. <laughs> you're probably a Protestant. Yeah. And many people look at him as a villain because they see him as creating a version of the church, which would ultimately be legalistic and exclusive. So that's well, what we're going to be. We got to debate this. Debating. Yeah. I'm pretty excited about it. Um, okay. So uh, coin flip time. Yep. Oh, coin this flip. Is my moment. And I've got my timer. Google coin flip. And we are going to... This Google coin has like pagan imagery debate. on it. What's your call? Tails. You are correct. Aha. Okay. I'm going to take the position that Constantine is a hero. Oh, that puts you in the pro position. Yes. See, I'm always this con. I'm always the, I'm always the meanie. <laughs> the antagonist. The con. I don't think, but we. that's where we need to redo this. It's like con doesn't mean that it's mean. It's just like, it's just a different view. Okay. <laughs> that's right. It's not bad. It's different. You say... <laughs> I say hero, you say villain, That's right. and then we will compare notes. So, mm-hmm. so okay, so you tell pro, me. So the pro is, is saying Constantine is a hero. The con is saying Constantine is a villain. Is mm-hmm. that correct? Okay. Yep. So you tell me when my three minutes have started. Started 10 seconds ago. Oh! Just kidding. Okay. Starting now. Okay, so Constantine, I want to make the case for you students that Constantine was a hero. Now- Regardless of what we think about him as a person, how he came to the faith, or what kind of version of Christianity he created, we have to say that he was a hero for the Christian church for several reasons. One, making Christianity a legal religion created a sense of stability in the early church. Now, there's a lot of romance and um, excitement when we think about the church as a persecuted group of believers, but... Um, for many of the years of the persecuted church, the church didn't grow in these exponential numbers because people were really too scared to join it. And we can understand why these stories of persecution, even if they weren't super widespread, they were really scary. And so people were were reluctant to join the Christian church. So by providing a sense of stability for the church, the church was able to grow in leaps and bounds massive conversions um, to Christianity. And by providing the church with stability and legal cover, the church flourished during the time of Constantine. There was extraordinary Christian art, Christian architecture, big, beautiful church buildings that portrayed the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ in an um, illiterate world. So this was an amazing form of evangelism. You could come and experience the art and the architecture of the church and learn a little bit about the person of Jesus. We also have extraordinary amounts of Christian literature in that period. Um, the fact that we have the scriptures as we have them today is due in large part to the fact that the church was able to thrive and flourish in that time. A lot of architecture and um, writings that predated that period were destroyed um, during persecution. So it's extraordinary that we have them available today. And a lot of the intellectual building blocks of our faith are due to the fact that the church flourished in the Constantinian period. So these extraordinary uh, theologians and their theologies that have built and sustained the church as we have it today are due to the fact that they were able to practice freely. The church also had a lot of support, financial support, um, living in this time. And so um, that was that only added to all the good that they were able to do. And finally, the last thing that seconds. I have to say 
is mass conversions. I know, I guess I started with that. Um, the idea that the church expanded in this period um, can only be think, only be thought of as a good thing. And I rest my case. Oh, with 20 seconds to spare. Constantine. Flex. Huge flex. Hero. Da, 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 da. Okay. You flex when you say, I don't need that last 20 seconds. <laughs> I don't even need that last 20 seconds. I seed them. I give them to you. <laughs> I will okay. take them. Okay. And begin at your cue. And go. Constantine is a villain. Constantine is a villain. <laughs> Chant it with me. I, let me, I, I was just, I was jotting down some notes as Dr. Payne talked, as Dr. Payne argued, Dr. Payne of Constantine, quote, regardless of which version of Christianity he created, um, what? Um, <laughs> the version of, the, the version he created matters. Um, she also cited the issue of the reluctancy to join the church as a problem. Okay, but maybe we should be reluctant to devote our life to something like that. That's not bad. It could, a, a faith commitment to Jesus could, or even actually should cost us everything. One would do well to consider. And Jesus has parables like this, like you count the cost, right? The fact that it doesn't, the fact that it doesn't cost us everything might show that the quote version of Christianity, unquote, many of us are following is, well, I shudder to think like, God have mercy on me. Seriously, read the New Testament. Where do you see Jesus or the authors there getting into this empire business? I'll answer it for you. Nowhere. Um, Constantine had a dream, a famous dream in the year 312 in which he thought he saw a symbol of the cross or something vague like that in the sky and wanted to, and then thought he saw written in Latin something saying something like, in this sign, conquer. And then went about brutalizing people in warfare and other deep <laughs> p political moves. Can, is, is that, I don't know, just ask yourself, Christian, is that something that you can imagine Jesus, the, the humble Christ of, of Nazareth commanding? Like which Jesus are we talking about? I call that sus. It's a super <laughs> political affair. One could imagine that at minimum, in, in, a, in a situation like where Jesus becomes like an official sponsor of an empire, one could imagine at minimum that the Lord Jesus Christ could um, get lost in the shuffle. At maximum, one could imagine Constantine inventing that story out of whole cloth about dreams and stuff to justify a move which was essentially a political power play that took advantage of the growing popularity of faith and its ability to unite people, essentially using it. Um, True, only later, like during the time I think of Charlemagne in the 700s did a Roman emperor force conversions to Christianity. Constantine didn't do that, but you can see the trajectory. Like you can see how it would lead to that, something that would pervert the faith. <laughs> Constantine did incentivize conversions, which Dr. Payne mentioned, which means you can have people converting for, as they say on The Bachelor, Bachelorette, for not the right reasons. The matter of the heart is everything. Um, if you just say a creed or stand on a street corner and say a ritual and, you know, raise your hand, you know, that's, that, that could start to look like idolatry, you know, sorry. Like some church historians and smart spiritual people, in fact, think what we're seeing today, even in, in the year 2021, <laughs> what we see unfolding now is, is exactly where this idea of this cultural Christianity or this empire Christianity are going. In other words, it's crumbling. We need real Christianity, not Christendom. Christendom is an idolatrous state faith. Christianity is real following after <laughs> Jesus. Of Nazareth. <laughs> Ta -da! Okay. Mm, 
So, All right, the sparring period the begins. The sparring, yes, yes. So we'll have a few minutes for this. Right. What did we give ourselves, three minutes? Three minutes. Three, three minutes. minutes. I'll keep track. Three, three minutes. minutes. Okay. okay. Yeah, I mean, I think you made a lot of good points. Mm. I think one of your great points that you made was the idea of how do you judge a, an authentic faith mm. and that maybe by making a more culturally comfortable version of Christianity, mm. it might create insincere converts. Mm. Although I have to ask you, mm. like, who are any of us to judge oh. what a sincere conversion she, she is? She moved past the compliment so fast <laughs> right into this. Yeah. So I have to I, say. No, I think that. that's exactly what we judge. That's exactly what we judge in the community of faith. We judge what a sincere conversion is. I mean, we mm. judge we judge each other. We judge ourselves in this basis. Like we examine each other about the sincerity of that conversion. I think this I think the counter that I would come up with to that one would be how do we even know to measure the faith without the production of the theology mm. that was made possible mm. in a time mm. of Christian intellectual flourishing. So many of well, the theologians that we quote, that right. people love to quote, right. are a product, a direct product I of think this th era. This is my favorite point that you made. And actually it points to a deep contradiction in my own soul that I feel all the time. But this issue about like, you know, that, that Constantine brings a certain kind of intellectual life and theology mm -hmm. into the faith that, that we need. And that, you know, here we are at a Christian university as professors. And like, I feel that, um, you know, that, that need for that kind of coherence. On the other hand, you know, it's like, um, yeah, the version, the version of the faith that's promoted through those things is exactly where the devil is in the details. Well, you brought up a really good point about that. And even though I can't go with you there, I think, I think I'm going to flag a, um, a flag it. A fallacy of um, what do they call the fallacy? The slippery slope fallacy. Oh, yeah. When That's you when fallacy. you said that it was only a matter of <laughs> time before people would be forced to convert, um, I think yeah that that there are many hundreds of years, like six hundred years, that separate that state-sponsored um, Christianity. Okay, but when you have my point between that and yes, forced conversion, there are six hundred years. I'm surprised. I think that. The argument is like, it's actually, yeah. And it's shocking that it took that long. I think it's, it's, it's a grace of God that it took that long before people like Charlemagne were resorting to violence to convert people. Because my point is when you set up a system where faith and the empire are fused, why would you not start forcing conversions? I well, mean, the fact that it didn't happen for so long is, is great. Yeah. I think, but, I think it was actually 500 years, but anyway, um, yeah, well, uh, I, I, I want when to be does careful. When, when does Charlemagne? When does Charlemagne live? When does Charlemagne live? lives in the ninth century? That's why I got that mixed up. I thought Charlemagne was living in the seven hundreds. No, eight hundred, or he died in the eight hundreds. Uh, yes. Yeah. Yes. So seven hundred died in eight fourteen. Yeah. So, so it took a long time, but like three twenty five. You know, let's call it three hundred and fifty years. Uh, four hundred. Let's call it four hundred fifty years. Four hundred. Three twelve. Let's just do some math. Okay. What's okay, three? Okay. What's three twelve plus? Or what's seven forty? We can't do it from the year he was born. What's eight fourteen? Let's do it from the year he was died. What's okay. eight fourteen minus three twelve? That's the number. We, this is very important. <laughs> <laughs> minus three twelve. It's okay. Five hundred and two years. You're okay. right. It's five hundred. It years. takes a long time. It takes a long time. Is my point. And also, it's a different thing to say that state-sponsored is not the state religion. So that wasn't actually Constantine's mm. contribution. I think mm. that's where a lot of the the ticky tacky stuff actually ends up becoming important. Mm. So I'll tell you who actually, I, I was raised in a tradition that basically was like 
things are going great in the church and then Constantine got involved. Mm -hmm. And then, Mm -hmm. um, I mean, very few people talked about it like that, but that was a kind of a common idea that the church fell into what's called apostasy. Yes. So that it became like what we now think of as the Catholic church. And one of the people who really changed my mind about that um, or, or introduced me to a different idea was a Greek Orthodox priest who I invited Mm. to come and talk to my, my class. And I said, yeah, we're going to be talking about this era. And he said, oh, well that is in, in the Greek Orthodox church that in our history telling, we see that as an unqualified, wonderful era for the wow. church. So I was like, whoa, there's a whole big version of the church that thinks right. of it in a totally and different way. you embarked way. upon a journey. Now it sounds, now correct me if I'm wrong, mm-hmm. it sounds like I'm hearing you say you had, a, you had a conviction that you grew up with or that you had that you thought was a Christian conviction, but that in dialogue with other Christians and in light of new information, you changed your mind? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know if I would say that. Wait, wait. Have we slid into the time where we're talking about what we really think? I think we have. Okay. okay. I'm being a little sarcastic. I'm saying like that's this is something right. Like we can actually. It's not like changing the core tenets of our faith, but you. It sounds like from that story, like you through through a faithful encounter with a faithful person, Mm -hmm. you actually changed your mind about something important. Well, it totally made me see. Um, the same events from a different perspective. Right. And it gave me insight. Yes. So I think, I mean, that's one of the things we try and model in this class, right? Is yeah. a a sincere, healthy dialogue with other Christians. Well, I think, I think something that's so distressing about the world in which we live, I'm going a little bit off to the side here, but I'm bringing it back home. Go which for is, it. I mean- you know, things have been popularized psychologically, like like the idea of the Dunning-Kruger effect. Like, do you know this Dunning-Kruger thing? Which is the idea that, I, I think it's just become like a buzz. I think it, it's actually a cognitive bias in which people with a low ability at a task overestimate their ability. So it basically what it means <laughs> yes. is that if you have a strongly held belief, but you don't know what the heck you're talking about, the odds are very good that you will never relinquish that belief, even with even with um, confronted with new a information. Bunch of, in yes. fact, in fact, I think one of the offshoots of this is that even when you get new information, you're more likely to double down on your stupid view rather than change <laughs> your view. I mean, I am too. Like, and in fact, Dunning Kruger is worse for smart and educated people. In some oh, ways, I'm sure. I'm who sure. are so sure that they're right about everything that they would never change their mind. And well, I, having known a lot of professors, that doesn't surprise no, me it's at not, all. Not, having known me, it doesn't surprise you. But I think I just wanted to sort of point that out, that mm-hmm. like this idea of like learning history and talking about the stuff, like it could be. And I think the fear is, the fear is precisely a slippery slope fear mm-hmm. that if I start like mm-hmm. being open to changing my mind, what what will I change my mind about? I might just change my mind about everything, including even, you know, uh, hor- hor- horrible, I'll, I'll go in horrible directions, right? Right. Yeah. And I think that, that, um, there's a part of that that I I understand and and seems praiseworthy and in fact is where it's like you want to be a faithful um, Christian you want to preserve um, the good teachings of the church and that's what the early church was wrestling through here um, and then I think that um, maybe an additional layer to that a helpful um, additive to that position would be to also a couple different things that. I know both of us try and we don't always succeed in is to have a humble approach to things. Like maybe I don't know everything. Maybe my strongly held views are not necessarily universal truth, but some, you know, uh, uh, and, and an idea that we would submit all of our thoughts and ideas and aspirations to the work of the Holy spirit. Um, so I think that that's what we hope to do. Right in this right, class, right. Um, so I have to ask you your position. Cue the keyboard. You got it. Oh, that's right. I, I forgot I'm, the keyboard. Dun, dun. Don't introduce me without a red carpet. 
of the keyboard. <laughs> what is your position, Dr. Doke? You know, I know everybody wants like a really clean cut answer to these things. And I know it's like, we've actually been pretty good at that in these. We've, we've sure, said. Sure, sure. I want to, I'll give a qualified, I believe he's a qualified villain. Oh, okay. He's not a villain. So I agree with my argument. I don't think he's a villain though, in the sense of like, that he himself exactly did wrong things or that the process of Christianity and history doesn't get kind of ugly politically. I mean, you know, this is just the nature of like reality is you have to do some weird things sometimes. And I don't know, I, I do, I do come from a spiritual tradition that did look with suspicion maybe on Constantine. Although weirdly enough, I kind of grew up around churches, which while rejecting that kind of idea also sought to oddly replicate the power structures within sure. individual churches that Const <laughs> someone like Constantine might have loved in right. the villainous. Right. Um, right. If that makes sense. So it's like, I think we kind of want it. I think this is why this is confusing is because sometimes those of us who would criticize Constantine as a villain actually belong to churches, which have are kind of like their own miniature empire Christianities. Right with a leader and with a clear set of guidelines that can get kind of legalistic. I mean, this is one of the criticisms too that I didn't bring up is like that style of faith ended up being something that was very legalistic. And I think the big deficiency to calling Charlemagne a villain or not Charlemagne, uh, 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 Constantine, now I'm using no, <laughs> these two, yeah. is that you kind of do need some organizational structure or things just like fall apart. It's kind of like if you're with your friends and you're playing some music late at night and you're like, let's just start a band. And everyone's like, yeah, you can get by on that energy for a little while, just everybody being equal and hanging out. But then at some point you start signing record deals and somebody gets songwriting credits. <laughs> I love that you who's, brought up music. A couple who's going to be on the cover of Rolling Stone magazine. And right, it's like, yeah, right. it does get very political. So having structures and a way to deal with things really does make sense. So I'm not, I'm not, I, I don't know. It's like, I, I'm a bifurcated human. I live in these two worlds. Like this idea of a structured theological educational thing is obviously what I am. And many people would see me that way but mm. I preserve some part of my soul, which thinks I don't want to live under Christendom like empire Christianity. And you see the ways that that in fact is, is an idol is an idolatrous form. It's worshiping an idol. So the challenge is how do you continue worshiping Jesus when you're in a structure like that? Mm. So that's, that's good. That's very view. nuanced, that's very view. nuanced, yeah. Dr. Doak. Yeah. What is your <sighs> real opinion? on this? My real opinion is that wait, there you go. There you go. Um, my real opinion is that he is neither hero, hero nor villain. Mm. Um, and I actually, so I study a lot of the groups who would position themselves against Constantine. Oh. Um, and so a lot of times, so I guess my, my question is, if not structured apostolic Christi Christianity, then what? Right. So like, it's kind of another way of asking your question about the band, you know, like, how do you, how do you operate this thing? Right. So a lot of groups, you know, I'm thinking of like Baptists or what we would call low church groups who, sure. who say we want everyone to have a vote. So they'll say like, okay, then we'll, we'll bring in some form of democracy. Mm -hmm. um, those groups have many of the same problems, historically speaking. Sure. So you can have abusive leadership, even if right. you say everyone has a vote. Right. So I think that in, I'm always just leery of labeling um, any one person, one actor as purely good or purely bad, sure. because it's like, besides Jesus, Jesus is the only human, um, fully God, fully human yeah. that, that Christians really need to say right. perfect. You know, that's where I think the, 
relying on the Holy Spirit as like present in the world is helpful because a lot of bad stuff happens Mm -hmm. and a lot of bad stuff happened as a result of that. A lot of good stuff happened as well. Um, And I think that we just, as a historian and a person of faith, I have to think that my worldview is just so limited. My perspective is just so limited Mm. on things. So that's how I, I'm just kind of, these are things, these are not things I can know. What about you? No word. I'm, I'm in total agreement. Well, students, we look forward to hearing you weigh in on whether or not hero, villain, somewhere in between. Ooh, one tone. (laughs) 